Welcome to the TESFE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. In this week's episode, I'm going to explore the concept of pop-up colleges. So, what are these pop-up colleges? Well, there's a brilliant feature by George Ryan in this week's TES magazine. He says that with long-term planning getting ever more challenging, many providers have made a conscious decision to turn back on the received wisdom of education strategy and consciously pursue strategies which are deliberately short-termist. One consequence of this is the emergence of the pop-up college. This term is used to describe a training programme set up by a college or provider to meet a specific short or medium-term economic need in the local area. They can be things like colleges which have sprung up next to building sites linked with a specific infrastructure project, or they can be in a coffee shop, traditional adult education evening classes, or they can be functional skills classes in a converted shop on the local high street. A contributor to this feature and someone with lots of experience in the pop-up model is Nigel Duncan, who is principal of Fairham College. Welcome, Nigel. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me, Sarah. Very happy to have a contribution here. Lovely. Can you tell us about how yours came about, the Civil Engineering Training Centre? It wasn't originally designed uh, as a public college. It was a response to a specific need. And because of the, the compelling message we got from the employers in terms of the immediacy of the need, then we did respond very quickly. And I suppose you could argue that that is basically a pop-up version, but it's a temporary solution to an immediate need. Uh, And that's around civil engineering, um, often referred to as digger school, uh, but it's it's effectively a mock building site, preparing young people to be what we call site ready within a shorter period of time. So how how the employers have described to me is that they could take people from the JCP or even straight out of school and they could present them to the foreman on site and say, here, I've got another man and watch their face drop because they say, what am I supposed to do with him? Hasn't got any skills, hasn't got any ticketing, no certification, no qualifications, is a broom. And of course, both parties, both parties failed in that because A, the the site wasn't getting what they wanted or the employer wasn't getting what they wanted and the poor person who was being thrust into that environment wasn't getting what they wanted and they last, you know, a couple of weeks before they get so bored that they just walk away. So it wasn't wasn't meeting the need. Right. The employers said what we want is is we want people to have an intensive training and we want them to have specific skills. If they have those, they said, straight away they've got purpose and they've got a role within the site and both parties benefit. So we worked together on the scheme. We had no strategic plan to do that at all, not in civil engineering. And the message that I gave the employer who came to see me was, if you can get critical mass, if you can get enough like-minded employers to sign up to this concept, we will, we will, we will dedicate a piece of land that we, we had, which is lucky, and it had an old uh, 1921 aircraft hangar on it. We could use that as well for a bit, and we could test the concept. Is this the hangar that was scheduled to be demolished in 1936? That's the one. It had a 15-year lifespan. <laughs> so you can imagine, it's basically uh, pretty old and decrepit, but still, yeah. hanging, still hanging in there. It's still, it's still, it leaks a bit. But we weren't looking for a plush site. We were looking for somewhere that we could do internal training when the weather was so inclement that basically we couldn't uh, work on site, but also somewhere to store the equipment. 
And is this part of it, making the best of what you've already got? About finding a solution. But the solution in this case, I think in any case I'd recommend it, the solution isn't down just to the college. The solution is, okay, employers, you want this. This is a partnership approach. You've got to help us deliver it. Mm. Uh, given their due, they put their money where their mouth was, and they, they provided us with second-hand plant, you know, they tapped up all their all their suppliers to make sure that we got some materials because it doesn't stack up financially without without some sort of support from the employers. Uh, our part of it was that we dedicated the piece of land, we let them have the uh, obviously used to hang as well, and we put on there some temporary um, teaching accommodation. In theory, that concept could be moved anywhere to where there is a critical mass, you know, a need yeah. for skills. And and you mentioned at the beginning there about about building sites. Yeah. Um, across the country, and certainly the same in this area, there are some major developments in terms of construction of housing, which have got sort of you know fifteen year lifespans on the development itself. That, to me, it warrants a specific look at the training requirements. Why not put something locally on it? And it doesn't have to be quite as temporary as a nineteen twenty one hangar. It could be that the the, the uh, developer says, okay, well, I'll build you a temporary training centre if you'll run it on our behalf. And that is exactly what the sort of thing that, that uh, perhaps the word pop-up college, which it sounds like it's pop-up one minute and pop-off the other, but it's not quite like that. But it is a specific solution for a specific need in a specific area. The first cohort we had, which was for 40 students, that's 10 employers with four apprentices each. We had 120 applications for it. The second cohort, we had 240 applications for it, and we've just recruited the third cohort. You have to be careful about how you recruit, but and as long as you've got an appetite, an attitude to work in that sort of environment, these employers will take a risk on you and invest. And the package they put together for these youngsters was very attractive because they know that they're fighting against some very other attractive occupations. You know? So, um, you know, there's traditional building trades, for instance. Uh, the program that we're operating here, which is a combination of traineeship and apprenticeship, is intensive. Mm. Uh, the students, when they're doing their off-the-job bit, which is the 20 weeks, the first 20 weeks of their apprenticeship life, Monday to Friday, 8.30 to 4.30 every day. It's not like a you know diet of a full-time student, which is usually sort of three or four days a week. Included in that is English and maths. But the, the critical bit about it is not, a, not necessarily about those specific skills that are important. It's about them having the right attitude to work in the environment. So a lot of emphasis is put on the individual personal approach to work yeah without it they won't survive and i'll, first, I'll be i'll be actually honest with you, our first cohort we, it was a steep learning curve the learners the employers and ourselves about uh, how we do prepare these youngsters that taught us an awful lot and so the second cohort has been much more successful and the third cohort we hope will also be successful but it's 20 weeks and you're out you are on site and that is it you are being employed but they're paid throughout the 20 weeks they're given travel expenses throughout the 20 weeks. There's a £3,000 bonus if they stay for after a year because these employers are committed to retention. They don't want to invest and then see them go to another employer. They want to keep them in their employment. And the employers signed up to a charter as well to say that we will not poach each other's. And if somebody leaves an apprenticeship and then comes back through an agency, we will not employ them because that's the risk that... They, yeah. get their, they get their qualifications in the 20 weeks, then just say, oh, that's fine, that's got go on, I need. I'm going to go off to an agency now, and then come back, uh, and that's going to cost an extra £5 an hour to the employer. Yeah. That's not fair. So there's lots of trust within the programme. 
to ensure that basically uh, every employer gets the maximum benefit out of it. In the piece in the magazine, you've offered some suggestions of how to create a successful pop-up enterprise. If we just have a look through these, so the first one, be responsive and show an appetite for risk. Decisions need to be made quickly. Not solely about uh, civil engineering. That's probably similar in most employer uh, education relationships. Employers are, if they come to you with, a, with an idea, they're usually enthusiastic about getting it done quickly. And so it's no good saying, well, if you come back, you know, September, for instance, next year, we'll see if we can build it into our curriculum planning. Yeah. They need a response now because civil engineering was, it was acute. Uh, the first employer going to do is, I can take 150 men tomorrow if you can provide them. I said, well, I can't. That, that's, that's not going to happen. But what I can do is that we can see if we can start to build uh, a supply chain for you so that basically you can build up those sort of quantities yeah but that those decisions have to be made quite quickly and uh, as a smallish college uh, perhaps it's easier to make i don't know and we've had a very supportive governing body the next idea is buy-in at all levels temporary provision places a strain on the organization that all involved need to be willing to support yeah so this is a hearts and minds thing isn't it it's a hearts and minds thing and also getting that buy-in because if you're responding to, to set this up, then states have to respond, curriculum has to respond, finance has to respond, the management team generally has to respond, the corporation has to respond. So everybody has to say, yeah, yeah, we want to do this and we're going to do this in whatever target. So we started this, we had the first conversation with the employers in March and we had to have it open by September the first intake and bearing in mind we have no staff no resources no curriculum knowledge you're a little bit careful it doesn't distract you completely and other things don't fall over so you do get need to get that buy-in the next one ensure a long-term commitment from as many employers as possible to recruit sustainable numbers spread the risk basically it costs the college fifty thousand pounds to set up the center and that's we have the land already we have this this 1921 hangar already on top of that, we had to then put these porter cabin classrooms in and other bits and pieces. And that's that's only about half the cost because the rest of the cost came from the employers themselves. That's still quite a commitment in terms of if you know you, you ended up with 10 students there or something like that. Yeah. It just wouldn't be cost effective. You need employers to understand that this is not just a quick fix for them because they've got a site down the road that they want to get some men for. This is about working with schools and colleges and job centres and all the sorts of people who, who may have an interest in it about creating a long-term career path for these young people. So certainly, although we're concentrating on ground workers at the moment, and that's, that's what's the demand for it, there's also a demand for quantity surveyors, for site managers, for project managers, for, for specialist engineers in construction. And, and that's what we intend to sort of start pursuing. But, but you need the sign-up for the employees. You need them to say, OK, yeah, we'll, we'll put people through you. The next one is base the business model on knowns, not maybes or even promises. Every principal will tell you that they get calls all the time saying, oh, there's a need for, for, for tonics or mechatronics or da-da-da-da-da-da. And that's because uh, an employer is having a difficulty with uh, recruiting or something like that. And, that. and there may well be a need for it. But don't take it on the basis of an individual just saying, oh, you've got to get into this. It's a big old market out there because you need some intelligence that's going to justify it. Now, intelligence in this case was 
you know, show me the employers and, and show me that they actually want these people if we if we um, if we set up this centre uh, and show me there's a long term thing. And so um, people will promise, you know, oh yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you ten every year, and then uh, business takes a dip and suddenly they don't want to give you ten apprentices every year. So very conscious about the fact you need to do the research on it as quickly as you possibly can and have it validated either by uh, you know market intelligence all sorts of triangulation with, in this case, it was with planning and, and the research the LEP does on the area, where they're going to invest in, in roads and infrastructure, because if they're not, then there's not going to be many contracts around to justify employing these people. So um, it, was, it was just doing that, really, making sure that you know there's a real market. Involve employers and other stakeholders in all aspects, so governance, finance, curriculum, recruitment, apprentice employment conditions, training contributions, assessment, evaluation... Let them own it and keep them involved. This is time-consuming, but it's worth it. You get a honeymoon period where employers will, um, you know, they'll, they'll see, oh, this is a good project, really like it, and they'll rock up to the meetings, you know, for the first time, and they'll make a contribution, and they'll nod, and they'll, they'll be all very positive. And then as you get into the nitty-gritty, into the sort of more mundane stuff, when you start to run it as an enterprise, that, that sort of enthusiasm starts to wane off, they start missing meetings, actually. It's so important to have them on throughout and to keep them energised in terms of the programme, just so that they basically constantly recognise that they are part of it and it's theirs. Realistic targets that are achievable and supported by employer commitments. Just, just make sure you don't have, uh, have silly targets that basically yeah. are impossible to achieve. Reduce business risk by continuously recruiting additional like-minded employers to the group. I mean, that's nothing new, I don't think, for this particular type of project. But um, you've got to constantly add new employers because some will drift. Either their, their companies will drift or the individual, the personality will disappear. Uh, and then you'll lose contact with the employer and then suddenly they're not sending a apprentice anymore. So it's, it's whilst you want to maintain those individuals, you also want to keep refreshing it and keep adding to it. Um, and also, not all employers will want to take apprentices for every cohort. We recruit three cohorts a year. And some employers say, well, I really, I've had two, two lots of four. I've got eight apprentices. I don't really need them at the moment. And so they might miss out a cohort. Well, you want to keep keep the numbers buoyant, so you, so keep recruiting employers, and also keep recruiting employers from different disciplines who want different levels of apprenticeship. So you can have some level six, some level fours, and uh, some higher apprenticeships, some, uh, some degree apprenticeships, and um, and obviously some advanced and traditional apprenticeships. And finally, invest cautiously until the business concept is proven, then create the case for further investment. I mean, our investment, our capital investment comes from the left, uh, unless it's our own personal money. But if we're looking for grants, then, then nearly always it's, it's the LEP. And the LEP um, want you to prove the need and the case, first of all. Now, that's partly done by having a nice long list of employers who are all signing up to it and saying, yes, we need it, we need it, we need it. But it's also uh, partly down to their own intelligence about whether or not actually this is a worthwhile investment in their part. You know, is it going to help them meet their targets for economic growth or whatever? From our perspective, we don't want to invest lots and lots of money without a proven uh, need for it. That sort of initial investment and that um, piloting or temporary arrangement at the sort of public college gives you a wealth of evidence within which to present to uh, an investment organisation such as the LEP to say, here's the proof. We've had this money uh, through this time. 
They've all got jobs. They're contributing to the economy in the area. Fantastic return on your investment. And you're meeting a specific need that supports your other ambition. Yeah, yeah. And I hope it continues to do brilliantly. Thank you. It's a pleasure. No, thank you very much for uh, the time. This has been the TESFE podcast with Nigel Duncan and me, Sarah Simons. Join us again soon. Thanks for listening.